welcome to stat i'm telling you all medical true crime stories and it gets bizarre karen wickiam yeah she used to work in the r and now she's sharing the knowledge so let's get involved hey funny and scary at the same time medical mysteries all facts she ain't lying <laughs> so tune in the stat if you dare because crazy things can happen anytime anywhere <laughs> yeah Hello, 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 everybody out there in podcast land. This is Stat Shocking Traumas and Treatments, and I am your host, Karen Wickiam, coming to you from beautiful Toronto, Ontario, Canada. How are you all doing? I hope that everyone is doing well right now, as well as can be uh, done in this uh, crazy, in these crazy times. Um, before I get started, I want to congratulate uh, the USA on the um, election or president elect Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. So that's some great news for my friends in the U.S. and uh, I'm really happy for you all. So I decided to do an episode today on the long-term effects of COVID-19. We are seeing over the last 10 months, at least in our end of the world, but much longer in Asia and Europe, that many, many people are suffering long-term and debilitating effects from this disease, from this virus, and how they're going to affect these people in the future. Right now, we're at 50 million cases, 50 million plus, with 35 million, almost 36 million recovered and counting. And of course, there's a 1.25 million deaths. So what is coming out is frightening. How is this going to affect the future of healthcare? How is this going to affect the the future of these people that are suffering from this? And overall, the world as a whole, um, the, the needs for long-term care and how it's going to affect the economy and all that kind of stuff. The economy, well, you know, it is important, but uh, for me, it's how it's going to affect these people, their families, the healthcare system, etc. What really set me off and made me decide to do it right now is that I was forwarded a, a Facebook post by one of our listeners that they had read from someone who has suffered and is still suffering very badly from the long-term effects of COVID. And I wanted to read her story to you. This is something that she posted and to give it, you know, educate people. And I think it's important because this puts a real human um, attachment to it. So I'm going to read that. And afterwards, I'm going to discuss uh, maybe what some of her symptoms and the long-term effects down different systems. Okay. I think one of the first words anyone who knows me would use to describe me as an introvert, probably followed by the words eccentric, tree hugger, and resting bitch face. The thought of posting intimate details about the trials and tribulations of my life on social media makes me cringe, as my personally preferred method for enduring any sort of suffering is done behind closed doors. For the record, I don't encourage this behavior. I don't think it's necessarily healthy. It's just how I do. That being said, I now feel that I have a moral obligation to share the information that far away is my desire to stay quiet and maintain my dignity. Disclaimer. This is very long, 
unpleasant, and way more personal than I want to get. I don't like upsetting anyone, especially not my friends or family. With the way things have been going, this is something that is going to affect many people. I want people to understand the reality of the situation. In light of recent events and conversations, and in lieu of any more awkward attempts on my part to skirt the issue, are y'all ready for some oversharing? I'm not, but here we go. Before the lockdown went into effect, and despite already taking precautions, I contracted COVID-19 in March. The person I likely contracted from had symptoms so mild that they didn't think they were worth mentioning at the time. The initial symptoms were only uncomfortable, somewhat similar to what the CDC outlined. That changed. Weeks went by and I wasn't getting better. Testing was not available to the public at the time and hospitals needed to save space and resources for the critically ill. When I was finally able to go to a testing center, after six weeks, they took one look at me and sent me to the ER. I was pale, weak, sweating profusely, and having trouble breathing, but my vitals, x-ray, and ECG showed nothing seriously wrong. I waited five hours for a swab and was discharged. My questions about the potential of COVID-19 being a latent or chronic virus clearly irritated the already exhausted doctor. The nurse told me, you're young and healthy. Try not to worry so much. I, along with many other people deemed mild cases, were left on our own to self-isolate. All I could do at that point was try to learn whatever I could in my waking moments, document my symptoms, pay close attention to my body, and try to adapt as things progressed. The first round attacked my respiratory system. From there, it worked its way into the vascular system and spread through my entire body. This is what the following half year looked like. In between restless coughing fits, I struggled to breathe as every inhalation felt like I was drawing in fluid. I was in and out of consciousness. When I was awake, I studied the internal structure and function of lungs and airways. I slept in a prone position and used postural drainage and chest PT techniques meant for coping with cystic fibrosis. I did breathing exercises. I ordered a blood pressure monitor and a pulse oximeter so I would know if I needed to call an ambulance. I followed a strict anti-inflammatory diet and adjusted my supplements and fluid and electrolyte intake. My doctor ordered blood work and told me to continue to rest. I tried to make sure any messages from friends or clients I responded to were left off on a nice note, just in case. I waited for recovery, but it didn't come. After two months, symptoms started to shift. The coughing subsided, but then I started to become short of breath. I could expand my lungs, but I felt like I wasn't getting in enough air. My insides hurt. My ears were ringing. My joints ached and nauseating pain radiated through my bones. My muscles ached and felt bruised. I became incredibly weak, which made me angry. Physical weakness has never been an option I've allowed myself. And when I tried to force myself to stand and walk, an awful, nauseous, crawling sensation spread through my body. My limbs would turn to rubber and I would feel myself lose consciousness. I collapsed several times trying to make it down the hall. I started having heart palpitations. My veins started to ache and bulge, turning very blue and visible. My entire body started to throb. My glands swelled. My nail beds turned purple. Levetorectalaris, a type of model discoloration formed along my abdomen, and petechial rashes surfaced where the tiny blood vessels burst under my skin. I looked like a bad special effects makeup from a horror movie. Except it was actually happening. I messaged people and told them I loved them. I read everything I could find on COVID-19's effects on endothelial cells. 
drawing connections. I learned about mast cell activation syndrome, myalgic encephalomyelitis, Epstein-Barr virus, and vasculitis. I combed through thousands of terrifying comments and heartbreaking stories in COVID-19 survivor support groups, looking for patterns or clues as to what the hell was happening to me. I waited for my phone appointments with my very kind but clearly overworked doctor, which were becoming further and further apart as the system was overwhelmed. Many specialists were no longer taking on new patients, and the waiting list for scans were months long. When I asked about multi-system inflammatory system, I was told it was only developing in children or critically ill patients. Mast cell activation was extremely rare. She ordered more blood work, and everything came back relatively normal. Nobody had answers. My heart started to beat hard and racing, as if I was bolting up several flights of stairs while lying in bed. It often woke me up from my sleep. I had pain in my chest, shooting down my left arm and into my jaw. Cold sweats, nausea, pressure. You know, heart attack symptoms. But two ECGs only showed a right bundle branch block, and the doctor wasn't concerned. Blood pooled in the any extremity below the heart level, turning them purple and causing my blood pressure to drop. I became unable to stand in the shower. The heart rate monitor on my watch showed bradycardia of 40 beats per minute and then tachycardia up to 200 beats per minute. My vision pulsed, veins broke under my skin, bruising appeared randomly. Then there were the migraines, excruciating and relentless, sometimes every day, sometimes lasting days or weeks without pause. Anyone who suffers from migraines knows that vomiting with a migraine is something out of Dante's Inferno. There was plenty of that, and I became disoriented and confused. I had trouble understanding language after losing my ability to read or communicate properly. I lost my sense of smell in the earlier stages of the virus as a result of the olfactory nerve damage, but started to experience phantom smells like burning plastic, sulfur, or something chemically sweet like antifreeze. Food started to taste like it had gone bad, and I would spit it out constantly. I had mild sensory hallucinations. I kept swatting at insect bites and stings all over my body, but there was nothing there. The right side of my face now sits differently from the left. My skin would burn and turn bright, but the thermometer showed no fever. White lines would be left under my skin when I drew my finger across it. My eyes burned and became bloodshot to the point of veins bursting. My hands and feet become so painfully inflamed they're near useless. Forks, doorknobs, taps, all had to be wrapped with something soft like a bandana or sock, or affixed to my hand. Trying to balance my weight on my feet was precarious and came with mixed results. I started noticing that, despite already being on a miserably restricted, low histamine, anti-inflammatory diet, symptoms would worsen after eating. Process of elimination and cross-checking pointed to a newly developed potential salicylate sensitivity, which, between that and other telltale signs, probably meant my liver was struggling too. My diet has wilted down to only about 11 ingredients. I drop weight... I lost all my muscle, my hair thinned, my skin thinned. I no longer recognized my own body. I only left the house to go for medical tests, the exertion of which caused my symptoms to worsen, leaving me bedridden for days afterwards. Often I would pay out of pocket, as many of these tests for autoimmune diseases are not covered by OHIP. They are not cheap either. If it weren't for CERB, I don't know what I would have done this whole time. I'm still waiting for a CT scan. It's scheduled for December. My doctor says I'm lucky I got one at all, as many people are being turned away now. I'm still waiting to hear back from specialists. I've been told it'll take many months to hear from them if I do. The system is flooded. 
On my way home from the blood lab, I see COVID is a hoax spray painted on sides of buildings. People are not wearing masks. I have no doubt that if things ever return to some semblance of normality, there will be hell to pay in terms of the fallout regarding my mental health. Over a half a year of isolation, not knowing if you're going to die at any moment. The body you've called home your entire life is suddenly alien and volatile, waiting to make the most of each moment but unable to even step outside to feel the sun on your face because you're now allergic to it. Wondering who is going to take care of your parents or take your place at your friend's wedding. All the promises you won't be able to keep. All of your cherished possessions, all of your artwork sitting in a landfill. It is a very strange and lonely feeling when people mourn your passing while you're still alive. You become a ghost in limbo, watching the people you love and the world you can't participate in move on without you. These things push you to keep fighting, but they also take their toll. In my dreams, I'm still strong and able-bodied. Waking up is confusing. In the middle of everything, I lost my friend, a huge part of my life for 20 years. She took the witness statement of my youth with her, and she seemed to have recovered completely, but had been complaining to me of what sounded like an autonomic nervous system malfunction. She was so scared I was going to die, checking in on me constantly, and then suddenly she was gone. The initial shock sent me spiraling and my health started to slide even further. I'm still in denial and have not been able to process it. My mind won't accept it. My body won't tolerate it. I'm afraid of the fallout from that as well. I will deal with it down the road if it comes. I'm trying to stay focused on gratitude. It hurts to watch the outside, the covidiots, the selfish narcissists, or those that mean well but don't understand how things work, filling up comment sections and going about their life like this isn't happening, expecting others to make sacrifices so they don't have to. That's not how this works. The issue is not that things are being blown out of proportion, it's that they weren't taken seriously from the start, not by the government, not by the majority of the public. And of course, preventative measures aren't going to look like they're working if they're only being done half-assed. The case numbers you're seeing, they only represent a fraction of those carrying and spreading the virus. We're only months into this pandemic and yet have already become desensitized to it. This isn't just a flu. It's not just a respiratory virus. The respiratory system is just one of the entry points the virus uses to get into the bloodstream, sometimes silently, at which point nothing is off limits. It is a frighteningly intelligent and highly adaptable design. The more people continue to help it spread, the more it is able to adapt and mutate. Many people are asymptomatic carriers. Even those who have had it and recovered can still carry it. They are not immune to mutated strains, but if we're not spreading it, it dies off. New Zealand is a better example of how things should have been handled. The sooner people work together, actually work together, not some people doing the right thing while, while others form new bubbles every second day the sooner we can get back to some kind of normal. Outside of masculinity crashing Freudian psychological issues, I do not understand why people want to make this something political. This is not politics. This is nature. Nature does not give a fuck. Nature does not care about what you think about Justin Trudeau, Joe Biden, or the orange loogie in a suit. Nature does not care if you don't understand the difference between viral particle size and oxygen molecular size. Nature does not care if you are standing exactly six feet away from someone when air shifts direction. Nor does it care if you're carrying a magical talisman of hand sanitizer in your backpack or your mask in your pocket when you meet your friend for brunch. Nature really, really does not care if you have a sexy Halloween costume that you want to show off and just want to live your best life because only sick or old people are dying and that's not you, right? Nature makes no allowance for excuses or mistakes. 
It is unfortunate that this pandemic has come at the same time as society has already been suffering from a plague of narcissism and willful ignorance. And as someone who has loved and respected nature since childhood, it pisses me off to no end that I have been struck down by a virus that stemmed from humans disrespecting nature. It's nearing the end of October, and I've been in isolation for seven and a half months now. I am mentally and physically exhausted. Doctors have no answers. Tests show nothing. And it's been explained to me. They just can't test for it because the tests don't exist yet. This is a brand new virus and a brand new disease, and no one can say what the long-term effects are going to be. Did I survive COVID, or am I just dying really slowly? It seems to me that whatever damage this virus has done to my body, specifically, has been mostly mimicking the mast cell activation syndrome, the myelogic encephalomyelitis, and the postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome. I've been learning about them as I go and trying to manage my symptoms on an individual basis based on what I learned. That is all I can do for now while I wait for help that may or may not come. This probably sounds all too familiar to those living with dysautonomia or autoimmune disease. The reason I'm writing all of this, I'm not sure as a rare case, as it may come for you to think. If I were one in a million, I would just keep my mouth shut. I would rather not be talking about this. I've heard from many people that they don't know anyone who has had COVID. Trust me, you do, or you will before this is over, especially with the way people are treating it. I belong to several groups for COVID survivors. Between them, there are literally hundreds of thousands of members, and that number is growing rapidly every day. Some have been sick since October 2019, before anyone was warned that the virus was here. Remember the walking pneumonia flu? That was reported last winter. The local Canadian group I most frequent for COVID long haulers had a handful of members when I first joined. Today, there are over 7.6 thousand with new members pouring in daily. The focus is on sharing information to help others navigate this nightmare and conduct interviews with the media to help spread the word so we can educate the public while we wait for the CDC and the government to catch up. Like me, many of these COVID long haulers were young, very active, fit and healthy with no pre-existing or underlying conditions. A notable member of them were athletes before they fell ill. And as this is a virus that can travel through your entire body, affect any organ, no two cases or experiences are exactly alike but we all share overlapping systems with one another. I documented 80 symptoms, from terrifying to extremely bizarre, and each one of these symptoms were reported by a significant number of other people in these groups. Around this time last year, I was running around the woods, climbing trees and making art. Now I'm trying to retrain my body to walk. I don't know when I'll be able to make art again. One step at a time, this is a mild case, and I'm still one of the very lucky ones. So there we have it. I've now shared more personal information than I ever wanted to, and I'm about to swallow my pride and post it on social media. Hard cringe. I know I probably will face backlash for it. Inbox harassment from the types of people I go out of my way to try to avoid for the sake of my sanity. I do not have the energy to argue with them, and I know many people will not bother to read this because of the length and the uncomfortable content. We are all living in an age of convenience and instant gratification after all. I did not attend on making this easily digestible or comfortable. Nothing about the last seven and a half months of my life or many others have been easily digestible or comfortable. If you cannot handle being made to feel slightly uncomfortable, I'm looking at you, fake medical exemption card holders. You cannot handle what COVID can potentially do to you. It's a nightmare, but I can assure you it is very real. Many people in Canada can't imagine being denied care if they were sick. Thanks to those not taking it seriously and contributing to the bombardment, of a now overwhelmed, 
underfunded medical system, you'll be on your own. The risk is much higher than you think. You're just not seeing it widely reported. We're working on that, as well as fighting for visibility, research and funding to help create a break wall for the coming waves and the lifeline for those treading water in its aftermath. If you thought you didn't know anyone affected by COVID-19, now you do. This is one version of a mild case of COVID can look like. There are hundreds and thousands of people just like me. And when I first got sick in March, nurses were already talking about having to prepare for the upcoming fall, winter, spring, when the bad wave hits. We're heading into it now, and I'm begging people to please stay safe and do the right thing. I may lose friends for speaking up, but if this post manages to reach one person, helps to influence one decision, that in turn spares one life, it's well worth it. If you took the time to read this, thank you. Pass it on. So, that's... uh, devastating. It took um, an immense amount of courage for her to write that, especially in lieu of how terrible she's feeling, the energy she would have to put into that. She's a survivor, she's still fighting, and she's trying to help other people. And she explains things in such an amazing way that it's understandable to people. So, I um, applaud her and honor her, and I'm grateful for her writing this. So thank you. So uh, what I'm going to do now is go over some of the things she listed and some of the things that are really starting to come to light uh, of how COVID is affecting people long term. I'm going to get into that now. So here are some of the things being reported by the long haulers, the people who have and continue to suffer from the effects of COVID-19. I'm just going to go through a quick list here and they're going to mirror a lot of what the, the, uh, what I just read. Extreme fatigue, muscle weakness, low grade fever, trouble concentrating, lapses in memory, mood changes, trouble sleeping, headaches, sensation of pins and needles, diarrhea and vomiting, loss of taste and smell, sore throat, difficulty swallowing, skin rashes, shortness of breath, chest pain, heart palpitations, and new onset of diabetes and or high blood pressure. These are symptoms that people have been reporting over the last year or more because, you know, we know about the the virus starting in, in China and being known to go far back as November and probably before that. So people are suffering from these things still. And we're seeing them in people that have quote unquote recovered. So there's many studies going on around in the the US, Canada, Europe, um, in places like Finland and Asia. So a lot of the things I'm talking to you about here come from those studies. So one that came from the Chicago Medical Center says that 40% of patients with COVID show neurological uh, manifestations on the outset, and 30% of those had impaired cognition. And some manifestations can be devastating and lead to death. There may be long-term neurologic consequences in those who survive COVID infections. There have been 50.5 million coronaviruses and counting, with 1.25 million deaths and counting, and about 35, 36 million recovered. This virus is deadly but also, out of all those people that have recovered, how many are suffering with the post, I'm going to call it um, post-COVID 
symptoms, but uh, it still seems that they're just long-term effects of the virus itself. So in those people, there's troubling evidence that there may be mild to moderate brain damage, and in some cases, severe brain damage that occur in many of the survivors, causing pervasive cognitive, behavioral, and psychological problems. So how does it damage the brain? Here are some studies from England. They see that it can cause damage directly from encephalitis, and many patients suffered strokes. In fact, COVID infection is now a risk factor for strokes, especially in individuals over 70 years old. Even young people are seven times more at risk to have a stroke. Now, studies in Finland show that the major cause of brain damage is from the lack of oxygen, and that most autopsied people had brain damage, and many of them didn't even show signs that they had brain damage while they were alive. Survivors of the ICU stays due to acute respiratory failure or shock, um, one third of the people show such a profound degree of cognitive impairment that performance on neurological testing is comparable to those with moderate traumatic brain injury. Now there are the cognitive damage effects, memory, attention, and executive function that can lead to difficulties managing medications, managing finances, comprehending written materials, and even carrying on conversation with friends and family. The long-term psychological effects of ICU stays include anxiety, depression, and PTSD. And all this information is has been supported by studies in Canada, US, and Finland, and other countries. In the more mild cases, fully recovered were found to have persistent impairment in sustained attention the ability to attend to important information for as long as it is relevant. So some of the long-term effects they feel are from sustained inflammatory processes. And many may have suffered a silent stroke, which can lead to bigger strokes and dementia. My question again is how is this going to affect the future with millions of people potentially having brain damage and dementia? So let's talk about the effects of the circulatory system. There is lasting damage to the heart muscle, and uh, cardiovascular disorders may include myocardial injury, arrhythmias, acute coronary syndrome, and venous thromboembolism. People with mild symptoms have an increased risk to cardiac diseases. There are also blood clots and blood vessel problems that are being seen. COVID-19 can make your blood cells more likely to clump up and form clots, large ones that can cause heart attacks and strokes, but much damage is caused from the very small clots that are find, found in the tiny vessels of the capillaries um, in the heart muscle. And not just the heart, also in lungs, legs, liver, and kidneys. The virus can also weaken the blood vessels, which can lead to long-lasting problems with the liver and kidneys. Along with this comes hypertension, especially those with the underlying heart conditions. And the virus has direct invasion of the heart cells, which can damage and destroy them. Now, we know about the lungs, a lot about the lungs, but to review, the lungs sustain permanent damage from fibrosis and scarring, which causes decreased lung function and decreased exercise capacity. And all of these problems of the different of, of the heart and the in the brain and the lungs cause chronic fatigue syndrome the many lingering effects therefore are fatigue mild to ex extreme uh, cough congestion shortness of breath loss of taste and smell headache and body aches diarrhea and nausea chest and abdominal pain and confusion so for some people this has been going on 
since they quote unquote recovered from COVID. And in my opinion, they haven't recovered. It just, the disease has affected them in different ways um, or has continued to affecting them from the acute uh, illness. This is the long-term effect, obviously. That's what I was saying. So, you know, this is scary stuff. We didn't find out about the long-term effects of scarlet fever, measles, mumps, rubella, syphilis. I mean, we can go on and on that, you know, it wasn't discovered till down the road when there is uh, heart damage, uh, mitral valve disease, um, brain damage, you name it. So we're at that stage right now with COVID where we're finding these things out. So as much as people are saying right now, oh, well, you know, I got it, I got over it, and I'm not too worried about it, uh, so on and so forth. Um, you know, no one's, I don't say no one, but many people aren't taking into consideration the effect long term on these people's lives, their families' lives, and the healthcare system, and then the economy. Things can't recover if we don't stop this disease and or at least minimalize it, and we can focus our attention on the people that are suffering long term. So much energy is going into helping people who have it now as it should be, but we need to focus more attention on the people that are suffering from the long lasting effects. And what was written in that post by that courageous woman saying that the people running around saying it's a hoax or not wearing masks and, and just being very careless and irresponsible with it it's absolutely disgusting and I have to try to hold back my my anger and sometimes my rage when I, I see people that just just don't give a shit and they're just so narcissistic and and selfish about it but anyway that's uh you know another one of my my rants so I, I hope that you um you know got something out of today's episode maybe learn something new or just reinforce the things that you already do know and um, I think it's important to hear the stories of people who have recovered or are still suffering. And uh, yeah, so that's it for today. Um, and I hope that you all stay safe. I hope that you all stay well. I hope that you can just continue to take care of yourselves and, and one another. And most importantly, love yourself. Peace. One love. True crime and it gets none realer. Sometimes it'll be the cure that'll kill you. Gotta watch out, yeah, you gotta watch your back. Cause you don't wanna be another episode on stat. Thank you for tuning in, learn a thing or two. These medical mysteries can be unbelievable, yeah. Subscribe, make sure you do that so you'll be tuned in and be ready for the next show. Stat.